What right does a man have to rule another? Treat you so bad, ladies and gentlemen, that if I invented a particular device, pretty soon I'd have to get a permit from the state to use my own product. You cannot get rid of tyranny by fighting tyrants, for a very good reason. Tyranny doesn't exist independently of something else, which is more important. There is a something else which has to be defined before you know what tyranny is. What's that? It's opposite. Freedom. They are not independent of each other. These are not two different things which are at opposite ends of the pole. They are one thing of which the one is a negation of the other. They say, why don't you get into politics? I mean, why don't you try to run for office? Then you can create change. You don't create change when you're in office. They tell you what to do. This is how we create change, by getting this information out to the masses. We can do more in one year than someone can sitting in office for eight years. Together they can break us, we are strong. Divide us and the road leads to destruction. Don't you fall a prey to Babylon. They want to pull us all in different directions. So they take you from the root and teach you their own truth. Open up your mind, please don't you be so blind. I'm not in it for the fame, I'm in it for the love. When it's all said and done, we're more than blood. And welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. It has been way too long. Thank you everybody for following us and staying with us over this journey. Uh, I am your host, Jake Counts. Coming to you not even live. This is taped to air uh, just due to some configuration issues on my end, and I have to get the uh, plug-in set up on the new revamped website, uh, wearenotcattle.net. And joining me, as always, uh, Josh Wiley, statelesshomesteading.com. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me, Jake. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, or fortunately, maybe, I don't know, um, we both had... I guess material concerns in our life. Uh, you with uh, with the second nugget on the way. Me with uh, I'm in Texas at the moment, scrounging together some coin and getting ready to go back to school, which is something I swore I would never do. But eh, here I am. Well, why don't you fill the listeners in on what uh, what you've been up to? Oh man, I'm just <laughs> I'm just down here currently working as a junior vapologist at a vaporizer store. Um, right. Which is a fun gig because it's something that I I appreciate and enjoy, um, but yeah, it's just very rapidly finding that I would I would rather not be stuck in the minimum wage serfdom for the remainder of my life, and unfortunately, most employers do require a damn piece of paper. So this is true. Well, it just gets you a little bit, a couple extra commas at the end of your paycheck. So the yeah, reason- well, th- that and uh, it, it gets you uh, not it gets your resume past the uh, HR goons. HR, I've found, is like uh, they're like the cops of the corporate environment. You know, cops are the only people, the only aspect of of the legal system that doesn't have to know jack shit about the law. You know, HR doesn't have to know jack shit about their hiring position, yet they're the ones responsible for screening applications. Huh. This is true. Well, you know, you got to check. How that works. Yeah, well, you got to check all the boxes. So, as Josh alluded to before, I have a uh, baby number two on the way, uh, another girl. So we're excited about that. It is. Um, it's been an interesting experience. Right now, you're excited, huh? Right now, you're excited. Let's let's see how how it is when you've got a, a 15 year old and a 13 year old. that'll that is when times will get interesting. But you know, through this 
through this life that we go through, this experience we call the human experience, it's, um, it's been ever-changing for us over the past six months. And um, watching, the, watching the elections unfold was something that I thought was interesting. And now um, what, we, what I've at least found, Josh, I've, I've found that um, most of the liberals out in the world, I actually have a clip of, of what is going on um, in these people in these people's minds. So um, you want to hear it? Do you want to hear what most of the liberals out there are thinking? Or excuse me, um, not classical liberals, um, neoliberals. Do you want to do you want to hear what some of them have been saying lately? I wasn't aware that they do that they do think, but sure, let's hear what they're screeching about. This is it. I mean, he said the nation stay. We can't allow it. It's pure evil. Oh my God! It's so horrible. Ah! <laughs> Alex Jones, everyone. Alex Jones has become an enigma all to himself. So for those of you that are new to this format or new to the podcast, let me kind of lay the ground rules of what happens. So we are, I guess I'm a a philosophical anarchist, a voluntarist. I believe that um, government is somewhat of an outdated institution. And with the Institutes of Modern Technology and Free Market, we could probably devise better uh, solutions to most of our challenges around the world than using the force of, uh, of a gun or the threat of violence or coercion in order to maintain influence and power uh, above the citizens that actually pay taxes and all those sorts of things. And um, Josh, you want to give your quick 15-second uh, spiel so we can kind of lay the groundwork for people that are just new to the show because we do have new listeners all the time and thank you for tuning in or if somebody shared this with you uh stay with us we're gonna have some interesting stuff to talk about tonight yeah i would i would concur with that position although over the years i found that my ideological convictions are uh weighing far more than my passion for deep political research uh i would just add the caveat to to your spiel jake which was very accurate that I also accept the reality that most people are very, very stupid and are probably not prepared for such a society. Uh, so how much the nation-state is still a necessity in this world, uh, is a, that's a conversation perhaps for another day. Perhaps for this podcast, mm-hmm. I'm not so sure. Given the rise of the alt-right, maybe it fits right in. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been fascinating because um, what, what I've seen is the the thing that I, I shared this with one of the one of my coworkers and she and I talk a lot. She's very she she's a self proclaimed socialist, but I, I'm I'm working on her to try to remove some of the the status solutions because she has good intentions. It's just that here's this, how Bernie can still win, Jake. Yeah, well, it's it's you know it sounds good. I mean, it sounds good. You know, there are some libertarians that believe that you can that you can utilize the weapon of the state and. And try to force people to make change. I mean, look at what the Founding Fathers did. They tried to write liberty into a document, but they even knew that that was kind of frivolous and that people would eventually um, be coerced or be confused or duped or conditioned so that um, they would eventually give these liberties up, even though that they should be coveted and then they should be sanctimonious among humanity. And that's what makes a, a, a very vol- a very, excuse me, not volatile society. It makes a very peaceful society as long as we understand the ground rules of uh, free speech, uh, freedom of expression, freedom of association, 
those types of things, which are already being um, touted as under attack by the new administration, uh, as if they they were never under attack, Josh, when people were getting arrested at the G20 and the G8 summit and and rounded up in droves and thrown into a, a large, uh, you know, a large pen under Democratic presidents because, you know, that type of oppression never happens under Democrats. It's just when uh, somebody puts on a, a different color uh, jersey than what I like, uh, that's when the oppression really begins. So, oh, absolutely. I, I heard a quote from a comedian by the name of Sam Hyde, who is uh, incredibly offensive but hilarious, and I think the viewers should check him out. Um, but he essentially described the modern lib- neoliberal mindset towards, um, especially the uh, minorities in wars of aggression, as uh, as keeping them as pets. You know, you want to make sure they have they have enough food and clean water, and you want to get them vaccinated. You always got to get them vaccinated, Jake. And uh, it's this mentality of uh, almost ownership that, you know, I mean, I just thought of that because you were, you were bringing up this, this hypocrisy, really, that has infected at least half of our political spectrum here in America to where, uh, you know, it's okay if we start seven wars uh, raining death from the skies under uh, the last eight years. Uh, but hey, if you drone, don't want drone to let twenty thousand of them into your into your small town America USA uh, as some kind of token prize for the ones that don't have a horrible birth defects or are maimed for life, um, then then that makes you a horrible monster. Well, and we will get to the political because the political rhetoric is is really that and its rhetoric. And I've actually been on Facebook somewhat over the past couple of weeks. And what I've seen is that even people that I thought were pretty well educated and pretty, uh, pretty uh, liberal in the classical sense of understanding the trivium and understanding grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And, and if you don't understand what we're talking about when we reference the trivium method of thinking, I would highly recommend looking into it. Because what I've seen is that people will take headlines now and they won't even go and look at the source file. And, and listen to what the person actually said, and they'll take the headline, and they'll just run that as fact when I was always told that a headline is just something to catch your attention, and the majority of the time the body of the actual article won't, won't even re- – it will relate to the, to the headline, but it won't be nearly as, as uh, bombastic or nearly as – nearly as extreme as the headline because the headline is there for to grab your attention it's not there to add context that's what the actual body or the the um the media is there for when you start to digest it so one of the examples that i can um relate is uh sean spicer uh who is the uh, white house spokeshole came out and said and i'll put the clip in the show notes he was asked about uh, medical marijuana and, and, and legal marijuana. Now, his stance was that, there, that the president believes that there's a difference between medicinal cannabis and recreational, which obviously, yeah, that's fine. You can have that, you can have that delineage. But he said that there are strict guidelines that, um, that Congress actually passed appropriations for under medical cannabis. So there is an understanding of what, you know, what is within the realm or the sphere of the overarching federal government. Once again, these are not things that Josh and I agree with, but this is once again, as he described earlier, this is 
this is this, the nature of things, or at least the state of the world in which we live in today. So we either accept that, or we just kind of bury our heads in the sand and pretend like um, like we can live in a different uh, universe or a different society. It's just not the case. So he then was questioned about what about recreational cannabis, and he said that um, he said that it's a different animal altogether, and that he was going to leave it up to the Justice Department because the Obama Justice Department was kind of laissez-faire and just kind of let the states that legalize cannabis do their thing, and that um, the this administration uh, would leave it up to the Department of Justice. Well, subsequently, everybody lost their mind. And believe that Donald Trump is going to roll out Humvees and SWAT teams tomorrow and start arresting people for utilizing legal cannabis. Which, you, if you looked at the comments, Josh, and this is kind of what you and I talk about a lot, it's not so much the content of the media that you watch. Just look at the comments and that tells you exactly what you need to understand about the mood of the people and what the people are thinking. The comments that were under this... I was watching the same video that everybody else was, and he never said anything about enforcement. He never said anything about uh, doing anything differently. He just said he would leave it up to the Department of Justice, which we all know where Jeff Sessions stands on that, but that was a long time ago. It just seems like a really big waste of tax money to me, and I know this is a long-winded statement. But everybody lost their mind over that. And so once we start separating facts and and looking at this at a purely emotional standpoint and not taking the time to digest what was actually said and getting down to the root, once again, as Josh and I always talk about, going and looking at the primary sources, which in this case, the primary source was the media file, which was four search terms away on YouTube, Sean Spicer, Cannabis, Trump. That was it, Marijuana Trump. And that was it. That's all I had to do. And then I had to spend four minutes of my life watching this guy talk. And then after that, I was like, oh, this is no big deal. He just said they're just going to leave it up to the Justice Department. But Josh, I mean, are you finding this in society? And I have some clips that kind of back this idea up that, um, that we're going through a, a kind of this changing of the guard that is taking place. The media has done an incredible job of weaponizing the mind of the American public. And now they have got them stirred up, and it's the media's fault. I'm blaming you guys. I'm blaming the media 100% because you want headlines, you want clickbait, you want viewership. Mainstream media knows that they're dying because nobody believes them anymore. And so now everybody's trying to grab their little piece of the pie and make their little last bit of money before, they, before the ship goes down. Josh, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this narrative war is uh, hilarious, as hilarious as it is ridiculous. Uh, fortunately, but isn't it, isn't it kind of isn't it kind of it's exhausting? Yeah, well, it's um, it's just become this uh, constant theater of the absurd. I mean, luckily, I'm not tapped into traditional social media uh, simply because I mean, I, I think I've become far more. It's it stinks being not connected to to some friends as much as you would be otherwise because that's kind of the vector for which social activity occurs in our modern society, for better or worse. But it, it has also given me a tremendous amount of psychological health and well-being. I think not, not seeing the constant stream of just garbage and being you know, reinforced constantly as I open the show with just, just how stupid most people are. Uh, I don't mean to be so condescending, but 
So unfortunately, my girlfriend is still very much tapped into the social media world and is quite active on it as sort of a political agitator or a political agitator. Uh, she has her fun with that and uh, receives a lot of 24-hour <laughs> temp bans uh, for her efforts. But so I'm still I'm seeing a lot of reaction from both the left and the and the alt right on pretty much every topic imaginable. The left in particular has just become, if they weren't already cartoonish, it's become ridiculous in that the cons- the, these are actual conspiracy theories being peddled by, by outlets like the Huffington Post now that are simply so outlandish. It's, it, it, it's, it's what they used to ridicule more, uh, more reasoned and researched sites uh, in the alternative media, the true alternative media, uh, for years. So, for example, there's one story that the Huffington Post ran just a couple days ago about how Harry Potter, the Harry Potter logo, uh, is is some kind of <laughs> all- allusion to Nazism because of the lightning bolt. And uh, this is, of course, you know, the the SS used this symbol and websites like Stormfront use this symbol, I mean, it's it's part of alt-right culture, at least alt-right internet culture. Uh, there's another one where they're trying to claim that um, Jared Kushner, I think it was Jared Kushner, is using secret hand signs to gesture uh, to to Ku Klux Klan members and members of Aryan, the Aryan Nation to signify that that the white power movement is uh, is indeed in the Oval Office. And you know, these are the kind of things that I would have expected. You know, years ago, from groups talking about masonry and these kind of things. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jake. No, I don't know. It's I was in I was on Facebook today, and there was a gentleman talking about fascism. And for those of you that forgot, uh, luckily we have a jingle for fascism. System of government characterized by extreme dictatorship. Oh, I see. It's uh, fascism. Fascism. Wonderful. Yeah, it's a system of government characterized by extreme dictatorship. So one of the posts was um, fascism. Here it's like the rules for fascism. It's like restrict voting, uh, restrict free speech, um, incite violence, and then uh, and then pass laws to shut down your enemies. And so I asked them. It was just a simple question. I said, you know, I think that some of your information is accurate, but, you know, can you give me some historical references to kind of back up your claim? And he said, well, I'm, I'm, and I said, and also, I think that we might be talking about two different things. So what's your definition of fascism? And if you guys ever want to watch somebody's head explode, just ask them what, what their working definition of a term is, because usually people are just so used to uh, their own echo chamber of, like Josh said, you know, hanging out with a bunch of uh, people in their own little group and their own little mindset. They all understand what the term means to them. But then if you're an outsider, you have to ask them to define terms. And it took the guy three posts to define define what fascism was. He never really did define what it was to me. And then he said that, uh, oh, this is just... Uh, this is just what you would consider modern fascism and that Trump is um, stopping people from attending um, from attending press conferences. And I said, well, who specifically? And so I go and I just look on my phone. I'm like, uh, Trump 
bans people from press conference. And sure enough, he didn't invite the he didn't invite it, he didn't ban once again uh, bad use of terms on their part. He didn't invite the L.A. Times, the um, and a couple of other left leaning institutions. But it said that um, ABC, NBC, and CBS, and uh, Fox, and the Wall Street Journal were all there in attendance. And so I tried to explain to this person. That I said, well, there's really no story here because uh, the media outlets that have a duty to the public, which are the which are the networks, those are the ones that have a duty to to get the information out to the public. They were all invited, so the commercialized news, quote unquote, air quotes news like CNN and Fox and all this other stuff, um, they just weren't invited. It's not a big deal. And she ended the she ended her quote with, "Well, see, you answered you answered my or you you answered my statement for me, uh, Zig Heil," and and I said, "If you believe that Donald Trump and this group of people that are in the White House are Nazis, evidently you have no concept of history because I don't see any brown shirts." And for those of you that do remember history, and for those of you that may be a little bit fuzzy on who the brown shirts were, they were an armed security force, civilian armed security force, that used to attend rallies for Hitler, and they would intimidate people. I see none of this. I see zero of this. So until this stuff starts happening, I think that we're really overreacting, and it's just from a position of... Of maybe it's that some of their some of their worldviews are not coming to fruition, like climate change. I, I don't understand it. I really don't. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I think it's a largely you know kind of an emotional reaction to yeah. this this dream of a neoliberal utopia crumbling before their eyes. At least in uh, in, in its image. I don't know if it will actually crumble. Mm-hmm. Um, here's to hoping, but yeah. That I mean, especially as we are experiencing the 21st century equivalent of real book burning with mm-hmm. uh, sites like Natural News. And say what you will about Natural News. I know it's got a lot of good information on it. It's got a lot of bunk clickbait on it, too, quite frankly. But it's a popular search term. It's a very popular website that's now been delisted from Google, at least uh, when you key in the, the phrase Natural News. It used to be number one. Now it no longer shows up on the first four pages Hmm. Or any of its articles. It's something like sixty thousand have have been delisted over the past uh, couple of days. So we have Eric Schmidt and uh, you know his uh, his political affiliations are, are well known. Quite literally, d- limiting access to open information for the public, which I would I would call a twenty first century example of book burning. And uh, have you have you seen any book burning or, uh, or or control of internet systems or the flow of information by the White House? Well, I haven't during this. No, and that's the and that's the thing is that any of the any of the censorship is coming from the major search engines. Like, take for example, what happened to Alex Jones. And yes, um, we have a segment coming up if you're new to the podcast called Alex Jones NLP, which um, this episode I'm gonna. Um, uh, go through chronologically uh, during the elections. Uh, Alex Jones went from just a mainline conspiracy theorist, not really conspiracy theorist, <laughs> a conspiracy researcher, and an advocate for um, 
the removal of of the globalists and the global institutions like the Council on Foreign Relations and 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 institutions like that or at least the investigation into these institutions and their influence worldwide and the Carnegie Endowment and the Ford Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation so he's on point for some of these things but he shifted his narrative towards a he tried to this is my theory for Josh. He tried to gather uh, some of the momentum that Trump had for the alt right, which would be a um, which would be not to characterize anything, but it, the majority of them are going to be Christian. So he started planting more and more Christian rhetoric uh, as the election became more and more close. And then you saw him and Steve Quayle and um, all these guys that are associated with that with that group. It's Steve Quayle, Alex Jones, uh, Hagman and Hagman. They all have a very similar rhetoric, but the Christian portion of their rhetoric got amped up towards the election. And so that's what we'll be covering in today's show. But what happened to Alex is, you know, take him or leave him. And I think he's absolutely entertaining. I don't really love his analysis on some things, but uh, he likes to omit the drug. He likes to omit the drug game from a lot of things, which Josh and I, or at least I do. I believe that that has a bigger role to play, and it just kind of doesn't get talked about because um, uh, usually those are the people that expose the international drug cartels are the ones that ends up, um, you know. Jumping off of buildings and stuff like that, especially if you're yeah, laundering, can, especially if I you're... I think we can both... Hmm? I was just going to say, I think we can both concur on that one. We've both done a lot of a lot of work on that. I mean, I've got quite a few original articles on my website mm-hmm. documenting, you know, I would say, I would call it original research on the drug trade. Mm-hmm. Some, some of this stuff has, has not really been brought to the fore yet, so... Yeah, but, and, you know, continuing, you know, with <clears throat> with with those... With those lines of, of communication that Alex has and, and, and not touching some of these rails that he, that he kind of leaves alone, uh, especially if you're, uh, if you're laundering the drug money, those are the people that usually jump off of buildings and, and, and take out early insurance policies. Just, just saying. So if you're, in the, if you're in the financial world and you listen into our podcast and you might work for HSBC or somebody like that, um, you know, just – be cautious. So anyway, as Alex um, mentioned in his show earlier this week, that AdRoll delisted him and removed all his AdRoll funding. Now, for those of you that are not, not familiar with cookies and advertising and how that works, uh, AdRoll is a service, uh, and, and Josh was telling me before, and I'll let you elaborate on this, Josh, that um, what it does is it takes your cookies once you go to a website, and then when you go to another one, uh, it starts propagating uh, those um, those advertisements that um, that you had on the last site that you were at. So it kind of keeps it up to date, and that's why when you go off of Amazon and you go browsing somewhere else, uh, an Amazon ad will pop up for something you bought or something similar to what you bought. So AdRoll took all of his uh, funding away and didn't even cite any purpose whatsoever. And once again, Josh, uh, a Google company, AdRoll is a subsidiary of Google. So this is um, this is censorship from, and it's almost like um, what what's the term for it where you accuse uh, somebody of doing uh, exactly what you're doing the the CIA term what is that called again? In uh, intelligence nomenclature, that term is transference. Yes. So 
in essence, it's transference, just like we saw with Hillary saying that Donald Trump's a Russian agent, which all likelihood Hillary Clinton's probably a Russian agent, or at least um, an advocate for Russia or done some business with um, some of the government bodies, or maybe let them hack her email or something. I don't know. Uh, we, we'll wait and see what information is coming out. But it Although looks, was, was it really a hack? No, it I wasn't. Mean, well, it just John, John Podesta. Uh, Mind virus. John Podesta's Gmail account. Yeah. Mind virus. Sorry, Mind virus. Media got me. Which, by the way, I forgot. Um, I need to. I need to do one other. One other pitch. This is a good place to. Uh, this is a good place to pull it up. Here, let me find this. Uh, let me find this clip for you. Uh, actually, let me. Yeah, let me see if I can find this clip for us. The idea here is to build credibility. It's a subtle tactic, but much more powerful than most people realize. We may not be convinced that the person is being truthful, but repetition is a psychological tool that often can make us more open to that possibility than we otherwise would have been. Suppose you're at some no-name restaurant in the middle of nowhere with a friend, and she leaves to use the restroom. She comes back with an astonished look on her face. You're not going to believe this, she says. But in that other room, there's a table with every amazing guy you can think of. She starts rattling off names. Johnny Depp, Gordon Ramsay, Jamie Foxx, Matt Damon, Matthew McConaughey, David Beckham, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Christian Bale, Denzel Washington, George Clooney, Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman, Steven Tyler, Will Smith, Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, right, you say. No, I mean it, she insists. They're out there, I saw them. You don't know if your friend is hallucinating or what, but you do know that there's just no way all of those guys are in the next room. You tell your friend that she may want to push her wine glass away. Look, I'm telling you, she says. They're here, in that room. I have no idea why, but they're here. Now you're beginning to wonder. As certain as you are that those guys simply aren't in that next room, you find yourself picturing them all at a table. Go look, your friend says. Finally, you give in. You get up and go look. You've just been acquainted with the power of referral statements. Sheer repetition got the better of you. In many situations, making a claim one time doesn't have much of an impact. But each subsequent time the claim is made, it diminishes our resistance or disbelief to the point where the door is open to the possibility that the claim actually has credibility. Remember what Franklin D. Roosevelt said in 1939. Repetition does not transform a lie into a truth. Yes, so... This is what we're experiencing when you have the Russian hacks, when we have all these different things, when you have weapons of mass destruction. So these are psychological warfare tactics that they're using on the public. And that's one of the things that I wanted to get to, Joshua, when we started talking about this earlier. Uh, and this and this idea of, of he's a fascist, he's a Nazi. When we start hearing these things over and over again, this is making the public suggesting or opening the door for the public to actually believe some of this nonsense that's coming through. And then um, I've got a great clip to back this up. Uh, and then it'll well, just Jake, escalate. What's, what's it'll the just context es- of that? Huh? What's the context of that clip you just played? Because I think it lends even more credence to, to your argument. 
So the context – oh, sorry. The, the context, it's actually from um, a book called Spy the Lie, which is written by three former CIA polygraph examiners. And what they did was they write a book about how to tell if people are telling a truth or if they're telling a lie. And it's not just like simple body language. It gets into um, referral statements, um, uh, displacement statements, um, avoiding the question, being long-winded, all these different things. And if you have uh, a couple of these, uh, they call them indicators. If you have two or three of these indicators within a five-second span, so it has to be really quick, then you're probably dealing with somebody that's not telling you the truth. And they go through – I would recommend the book to anyone. Uh, They go through a couple of examples like Bill Clinton's testimony, O.J. Simpson's, and they read the transcripts and they uh, highlight um, where these actual uh, occurrences are happening. So these are are people that are seasoned experts and once again utilizing uh, the Central Intelligency's own playbook is what you're seeing being propagated on the public. So – that's the that's I guess what that's you wanted the, me to get to. Right that's there. that's what you wanted me to get to is that we are really experiencing information warfare, and that's why you got to read the book. So if you read the book, then you gain knowledge, then you then you apply the trivia method, and now you are a full blown lie detector and truth detector, and you can uh, dismiss all these claims that are that are bogative and, and and kind of cleanse your mind of these mind viruses, as Josh calls them, um, that that would. You know, contaminate your life and and, and ultimately make you a, an uncomfortable person. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they, they, a lot of intelligence agencies or intelligence former intelligence agents have since come out after the election of Donald Trump and, and been very high profile about their either unwillingness to any longer participate in the agency, but certainly this uh, notion that they are going to end the presidency. Uh, oh, go ahead. I've got, a good, I've got a good clip. This is a clip from, uh, this is a clip from Rand Paul talking about, um, once again, the narrative about Trump uh, having to let go of his, um, of his, um, his new hire. Oh, gosh, I just – the guy's – is um, – his first appointee to the um, uh, Secretary of Defense, I, get, I can't remember what it was. But anyway, one of his cabinet members that had to be let go. Sh- because, shows how much we care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of his cabinet members that had to get let go because he had a conversation with the Russians a couple of days before he should. But here was Ron, and, and once again, that was the narrative. Oh, he was talking to Russia. He was talking to Russia. So they're opening the door. But here's what Rand Paul had to say. Well, I think the thing that worries me most is that we have high-ranking officials who are listening to phone calls and then revealing highly classified information to the media. They should be in prison. They should be in prison for a long time because it is very, very sensitive to be recording the phone calls of our high-ranking officials talking to other government officials. Now, you may say we're investigating them, but you know what? Somebody needs to let me know, was there a FISA warrant gotten? Did they have a specific warrant to listen to anybody's conversation? But it's never legal to release that to the media. You know, well, maybe those people... agencies were turning on the very people who were going to be running them. Uh, say that one more time. The, maybe the agencies were turning on the very folks who were going to be running them. 
Well, and that's a real problem because yeah. Flynn, Flynn had been a critic of the intelligence community Indeed. and the intelligence agencies. And so are we going to let unelected people secretly reveal top right. secret? I mean, a conversation with the NSA director to the Russian ambassadors, I would think, would have to be top secret. And I don't understand how someone can just get away with revealing that. And if we catch whoever did it, they need to be prosecuted. That's probably more important than anything else, is that you can't have a government that's going to use people releasing secret information to try to pressure, blackmail, or remove people from office. Senator, we'll watch it closely. Thank you very much. I'm sure you will, Neil. You're all over it, seeing as though you guys really reported on that. So what do you think, Josh? Kind of in line with what we're talking about here. Oh, absolutely, to a T. I mean, Rand Paul is uh, kind of a wet blanket, or as you call him, a soup sandwich <laughs> in a lot of respects. But on that front, he's still uh, one of the most stalwart defenders uh, for civil liberties. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, <laughs> that doesn't speak very highly of our representative body in Washington. But No, no, it really doesn't. So let's, um, I mean, let's shift into... Uh, and let's actually dive deeper into this divide, this political divide that we have. Uh, I have a couple of um, I have a couple of good uh, clips that we can set up. So once again, this we're seeing the way that um, the left is parroting narratives of fascism, of Nazi, of all of these different things. When I was a kid, you were never. I don't know if this was different from you, Josh. Maybe we just grew up in different times. That's what's interesting about us. Um, you're a millennial. I missed the millennial by like a year and six months or whatever the cutoff was. But I was told that you were never supposed to call somebody a Nazi. You were never supposed to stereotype a group, that you were supposed to take the individual for you know for their beliefs, for their uh, understanding, and not just say that if somebody disagrees with uh, illegal immigration, let's take that as a hot-button topic now, which, you know, borders are silly people, and the only borders should be property borders, but whatever. We can talk about that another time. But, you know, having these... Uh, maybe tack it on to the end of the show here. Yeah. Yeah, we can we can possibly do that. So... The, the understanding that's coming through is that anybody that disagrees, you don't have a conversation or a dialogue with them. You just – you put them into a corner and, and they're, the, they're the them. So I've got a clip of um, Joe Rogan and Gavin McGinnis talking about the dangers of doing this as a society. So here we go. Yeah, he plays it up and there, there's definitely a pro- – Okay, so they're starting to talk about Milo and then they shift into – the topic that we want. So here we go. Performance piece to a lot of what he does. What's what's really interesting is he's very good at riling people up. He's obviously very good at getting people upset and and in doing so He's created these sort of false narratives about him that he's a Nazi that he promotes genocide I mean there were so many people outside the see this is this is the narrative of the left and Joe's touching it but he's not he's doing a good job of not um, uh, blanket statementing uh, one political group, which is what's happening in our society. And I shouldn't have said the left, but this is just a lot of people in general that are falling for this bait. Berkeley thing, they were screaming, calling him a Nazi and saying he's a fascist, when they, in fact, were behaving in very 
authoritarian fascist ways. That's Antifa, by the way. You said I don't know what Antifa is. That's those guys. Anti-fascist? Is yeah. that what Antifa yeah. stands for? Okay. But you're right. They're terrorists and they use terror. They use violence to achieve political gains, which is terrorism. And uh, these people, it's not like Milo ever said, or Trump even ever said anything that is remotely close to genocide. But those guys just go, anyone that wants to enforce immigration laws is a fucking Nazi. So I need violence because I'm trying to stop Hitler. I'm around the first stages of Hitler. So I'm going back in time and strangling him in his crib. Kind of right, thing. right. But the problem is the way they're reacting to it is the absolute wrong way to react to someone who's saying something that you don't agree with. Oh, yeah. The, the right way is to say something that you feel opposes what they're saying and makes more sense to debate them. That's the beauty of free speech. Like, it has no limits. Yeah. If you want to get out there and deny the Holocaust, you want to get out there and sexualize toddlers, I'll go to your talk. I want to hear it. And then in the Q&A... I'll shoot you down. Well, not, I don't think it, it even should just be a Q and A. I mean, I think it should be real clear. Uh, there, there, there should be someone, and we shouldn't just rely on the audience to come up with some sort of a response. I think if you're going to have someone as controversial as Milo, and you're so opposed to it that you're willing to throw bricks through Starbucks windows and light cop cars on fire. There should be someone that can speak for your side, of course. and then you should organize some sort of a talk. But this is setting it up the wrong way because you go, it's like someone said to me once, hey, man, you know, like we were talking about martial arts. If I was a black belt, I'd fucking kick everybody's ass. I go, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. First of all, you wouldn't because you'd have discipline and you'd realize the consequences of that. But second of all, when you just kick someone's ass, they don't, they don't just take it. Like, they come back with a bat or a gun or their brother or you start a fight and it, they want to get it back. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And all conflict pretty much goes that way. You have conflict and then someone responds to that conflict and it escalates. So if you have this thing where you start throwing bricks through windows and lighting cop cars on fire and stopping people from talking and hitting people that have uh, make Bitcoin great again hats. Did you see that girl who got yeah. maced in the face? You know what happens? Eventually, people show up with guns. That's what happens. And this is what happens. When you keep escalating the violence, you become a them, you become the other, you become the enemy, and you create this polarizing atmosphere that's so intense that no dialogue is going to fix it now because you're the enemy. You're talking about the North versus the South. You're, you're talking about you know, the, the Protestants versus the Catholics. You, you, you create this horrific environment where almost it's almost impossible to avoid violence there you go so what do you think josh man uh, i don't know if anyone out there uh reads zero hedge or uh reads the source blog of a writer named brandon smith his website is alt-market.com uh, he's done a lot of really interesting research over the years i don't know if i necessarily ascribe to this theory wholeheartedly but i definitely consider the the possibility heavily and his basic thesis is that the left, uh, at the risk of generalizing, uh, are being thrown to the wolves, and we uh, are the wolves, you know, essentially heavily armed uh, individuals, and I guess a coalition of them with uh, supporters of the state who, the, the new state, the, the Donald Trump state, to no matter what our political differences on the right... Um, Again, general, generally speaking, I don't know if I'd necessarily classify myself as, as a right wing, but I, it, see, it's already happening in my mind. I find, these, I find modern uh, neoliberalism so vile 
that uh, <laughs> I, I do view it as, as, a, as a threat to a large extent. Um, <clears throat> but his general thesis is that the purpose of Donald Trump, whether he knows it or not, is to bring those forces into conflict to create sort of an American spring type environment. Uh, uh, after which you'll have the purge uh, largely of the neoliberal caste, but you'll end up with a scenario in which, you know, any kind of state power can be justified to right. quell what's happening on the right. streets. Right. And I mean, I, again, I don't know if I believe that wholeheartedly, but I, I think it's a distinct possibility at this point. Yeah. I mean, especially especially given that I mean, again, we can maybe this is a, a conversation best left for later or a, a later date entirely. But I mean, if you look at a lot of what the Trump administration is currently doing, uh, for example, you know, deployment of extra troops in in uh, in and around Ukraine and Eastern Europe, or escalation of conflict in the South China Sea. I mean, the, the, this is the man was elected on, in large part uh, on the backs of alternative media sources saying that this is you might not like the man you might not agree with everything he has to say but it's better than hillary clinton who will most assuredly start world war three with russia or and will escalate this uh, brzezinski you know kind of eurasian heartland doctrine mm. and now we're kind of still seeing the same i mean steve mnuchin is another perfect example of this uh your current head of the treasury uh, you know, or Donald, or a lot of these people who are very enthusiastic about the bringing down of uh, an entrenched pedophile, pedophile elite class right. in in this country. When you've got men like Rex, Rex Tillerson running the State Department, who yeah. is good buddies with uh, convicted kid diddler Dennis Hastert. That's right. Uh, I mean, that's actually are, simply, uh, that's actually. Uh, if you guys want a reference point for that, sorry, Josh. Uh, that's um, I read that to Josh the other day. It's in the book Superclass. Um, I'll I'll put that in yeah, the show David notes Rothkop. too. Yep, by Rothkop, who was yeah, head of the Kissinger group. So what what would he know? But yeah, then again, well, if you like do for, if you do forensic historical research, then you're a conspiracy theorist. So hmm. good job, Josh. Indeed, it's like the it's like the X Files tagline, man. First millennial you know? coin of the show. Good job. Heck yeah. Well, I think I, maybe I had a few others in that we missed, but yeah, you uh, probably did. Uh, I was slow like on the X-Files draw. Tagline. I, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, man. Uh, you know, I want to believe, but you know, you look at you look at what's actually shaping up around you, and it's like, yeah, there, there's too there's uh, as in the trivium, there's simply too many contradictions of terms here. Uh, the circles that can't be squared, to use a Masonic reference. Uh, even people that I have a tremendous respect for as uh, as media producers and and uh, deep political researchers, people like Catherine Austin Fitz, who are so you know, enumerated by uh, a Trump administration in fixing a lot of these issues. Um, and, of course, she started off most of 2016 as incredibly uh, dour on the man, but has become almost one of his biggest cheerleaders. Uh, you know, again, she's someone I I respect, you know, so when she speaks, I listen, I at least try to, you know, see where she, see what angle she's trying to come at this from. And, and maybe she's right. But I just I don't see it yet. I mean, until uh, I guess uh, uh, opinion withheld until uh, results uh, results forthcoming. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess we can be like the elections. You know, maybe I could get the map out, Josh, and and start you know claiming counties. Maybe that'll help for you, and just start color coding stuff. But um, no, I 
I, I, what I would like to see out of the uh, out of the administration is I've I've heard rumors of the tax plan. I'd like to see that, and if if he lowers taxes and lowers corporate taxes, then we as a society, you, you and as libertarians, you can't be. I mean, it's still theft, but it's a little bit less theft, and you're kind of moving away well, from it. It's it's. It's about being pragmatic at your core. I mean, we yep. both opened the show by stating that we're ideological anarchists and we yep. don't necessarily believe that we need state intervention. Mm-hmm. But I, that's why I put that caveat in there because Americans are fat and stupid, man. Uh, they're stimulus response creatures. Your friends, neighbors, and colleagues, um, for the most part, you know, like they should be wearing Velcro shoes as far as I'm concerned. But um, and then and the other and the other part of that issue is that the educational system is is. So it's a double-edged sword. The educational system is was set up to create these people. Now they've created them, but they don't have any work for them. And so you have people that don't have any critical thinking skills. They don't know how to be entrepreneurs. They've been indoctrinated into a system that keeps telling them uh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It reminds me of that um, uh, that clip that we used to play a very long time ago on the show. It's like one of the first ones I ever played. Where it talks about, well, if you just go to college, then then it's coming, and then if you just you know get that CEO job, then it's coming, and and what people fail to realize is that it's the it's the journey, which is you know, Josh, you you learned it at an early age, fantastic. Uh, I learned it uh, a little bit later on in life, but it's it's changed my perception and changed the way that I interact with people because now instead yeah. of looking at, well, look, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no, finish your thought. No, instead of, instead of trying to, to go out to find the next something or the next thing, like the material good that's going to make me happy, if I just have, the, if I just have the, the BMW 3M, if I just have the M series, then I'll be happy. This 328i is just not cutting it, which is – it's a fallacy, people. It's, it's, a, it's a fallacy constructed by consumerism. And I, I watched a, a documentary called Minimalist, which I took a couple of clips from. But I want Josh to chime in, and then we'll move on to uh, to this next segment that we're going to go set up. So go ahead, man. Yeah, well, I mean, if I'm being frank, in a lot of ways, uh, I wish that I would have found this stuff out at a later point in life. Uh, not just because, you know, you make uh, very rash decisions when you're young and uh, think you can think you can change the world or affect the dialogue in any meaningful way. But, you know, uh, you, Jake... Uh, took care of your Maslow's hierarchy of needs first, you know, uh, whereas I did not. I forsook, the, I, I put that aside for the sake of, you know, deep political research and ideology and spreading the message. And uh, quite frankly, now 25 years old, it hasn't gotten me uh, ahead in the material world, which is uh, not something that I'm, you know, overwhelmingly concerned with, but you you certainly, you have to make ends meet somehow. But you'll see, um, but you'll see, and, and people that listen to the show that are in business will understand, you will, when you meet people in business that understand how the world works, it's a different conversation than dealing with people that have been programmed, that are on what they believe is a track to success, uh, whether in life or in business. When you deal with people that have kind of under or have come to an understanding of of how this whatever this is that we're in reality frame we'll just call it a reality frame for right now how what this is that we're in it's a different conversation maybe they resonated at a different frequency not to get too hippy dippy on you but it's just different so 
um, moving into this documentary, I, I think we got to play some well, intro. Quick, uh, go ahead, man. Go ahead. I'm going to look for real, some intro real music before before we go da- down that track because <laughs> I, I do want to, you know, put this caveat. We were talking earlier about you know the nature of our ideology and and, sure. and how that squares with with pragmatism. Mm-hmm. And you brought up the, the Trump tax plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess one one could argue that you know guys like uh, Larkin Rose or Irwin Schiff or um, the late. I guess the late Erwin Schiff now, or the late, uh, 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 what was his name, Russo, Aaron Russo. Yep. You know, yeah, these people did a lot of work trying to describe how the income tax is not only unethical, but unconstitutional and perhaps not even a real law and never, uh, and was never actually ratified. Mm-hmm. Um, but if Donald Trump, through the power of the state, is actually able to enact this this tax plan again i have significant doubts due to the goldman influence in in that cabinet and why did he pick these people in the first place again conversation for another day mm-hmm. but you know if if americans if uh filing jointly or making under twenty five thousand dollars a year no longer paid mm-hmm. or the next and the next highest tax bracket was only 10 percent to the federal government i don't know how social security would necessarily figure into that but you could say that that state power was more effective than all of those um all, all that groundwork um, in in actually accomplishing something, uh, you know. So so it is, it's a it's a contradiction in a sense, mm-hmm. and it's a it's the contradiction that has birthed a movement like the alt right. Right. For example, you know, Jake, our our view of um, well, I don't know if it's my view necessarily anymore, but our view of a borderless world. Yeah. Um, if there, it, I mean, because certainly that's that's an aspiration of, of globalism. Mm-hmm. It's a very different form of a borderless world than the one that people like we, you know, we envision. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, because you wouldn't have undue profits or trade deals or, or this uh, this need for flux from one country to another. Right. But you know, it's it's very unrealistic to assume that you know uh, all borders would disappear across the world uh, at, at, at all at once. Yeah, exactly. You know, so you you. You could have an anarchic experiment in certain certain parts or pockets of the world, right. but but you would still have to deal with uh, with with the coercion and force of of the state in other parts, right. and that creates a whole another complex set of dilemmas. I mean, mm-hmm. this is what um, Sir James Goldsmith, who I guess to a certain extent you could call him the British Donald Trump, um, Sir James Goldsmith. For those who don't know, fascinating interview with uh, Charlie Rose in the early nineties. You should look it up if you haven't listened to it. Is this the, is this it. the guy that, that, uh, had the fast acting, uh, heart cancer or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, had, had a, cause had he a, was there. Give, uh, give, give the listeners a background of who he was. Cause this guy is fascinating. So Sir James Goldsmith was a member of a group called a British group called the Mayfair set. And a lot of these guys were, um, Freemasons with a direct line to essentially the last will and testament of Cecil John Rhodes. Uh, one of them was the founder of the British SAS and really pioneered the military industrial complex field. James Goldsmith was one of these people, and they all met uh, at a poker club, a men's club essentially, called the Mayfair Set again in London, and uh, essentially came to the conclusion that Great Britain as an empire, its power was waning, the, the handover to America had taken place. So they had to create a new model of mercenaries and uh, pairing mercenaries with, with market forces to kind of reinvigorate Great Britain. Uh, James Goldsmith later went on to become like this, uh, this asset stripper capitalist, essentially. Uh, the, he was uh, like a junk bond dealer <coughs> in the 70s and the 80s. You know, he's one of these guys who would go in, buy up a corporation, strip it down to the bare minimum, sell it, you know, and offshore it. 
And in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, he kind of came to this apotheosis that he uh, was now creating this world where it was truly global and borderless. And because of that, uh, good Anglophile stock that he, you know, he had so much appreciation for um, was now having to compete with the, the areas of the world that they had formerly colonized. And that it was untenable to ask a, a factory worker or even skilled workers to compete with someone who will work for pennies on the dollar in Southeast Asia or India or China or places like this. And his, his uh, assumption was, and I think correct, <laughs> you know, given, given the retrospection of time, that this would essentially drive down the standard of living and wages in the West to the point where it would be, uh, the, the, I guess, the first world would no longer be the first world. It would become a post-industrial society uh, of, of the haves and the have-nots. So James Goldsmith ran uh, in, I believe it was 1994, as a referendum candidate for prime minister, where he essentially wanted to uh, sign uh, a law that would end NAFTA as well as GATT, the general, what is that, general agreement on trade and tariff mm-hmm. for the UK, as well as banning uh, the establishment of, uh, of multinational trade deals, and then he would step down. Uh, he lost that election, of course, uh, wrote a book called The Trap on this topic, and two weeks after this book came out, he, uh, he died mysteriously of a heart attack. So it's an interesting story. In, <laughs> uh, it's an interesting story. In you, get a, you get an applause for the story, too. Great job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'll take my bow, uh, but not my leave just yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or else it wouldn't be much of a show. But yeah, that was... Um, that was James Goldsmith's, uh, you know, general thesis. But it is it is one of, um, uh, you know, if Donald Trump can be viewed as a modern analog, you know, we can complain all we all we want about the nature of neoliberal globalism, but none of us stopped the TPP. Nope. We bitched about it for nope. a long, long yep. time. Tried to expose it. Tried but, to at least bring it to the forefront. But you're exactly right. So. Once again, again we're, contradiction of terms, man. We're we're now at um, we're now at a, a a paradox, and it's interesting to watch all this stuff unfold, especially from the political side, because you you do have people that are highly uh, politically uneducated with no historical context, uh, becoming very emotional, and it's creating a lot of challenges. So. I do have some theme music here. This is the old Bitcoin theme music. So we're going to use this for a new segment, which I like to call Documentary in Review. So for those of you that are interested in sending me some ideas for documentaries to review, uh, send it to wearenotcattle at gmail.com. Send me an idea of what you would like for us to cover. Uh, I'll watch it. Josh will watch it, and we'll we'll break it down. Sorry, getting over a cold, everyone. But this one in particular, uh, Josh has not seen, but has heard a couple of times to go watch. So he's going to check it out. Uh, I thought it would be pretty um, pretty good for him to check out just because he was doing the homesteading thing and it kind of aligns with some of his ideas and, and, and aligns with some of my worldviews as well. So Josh, about, um, let's see, about, I want to say about 20 minutes into the movie, it's uh, it's clipping along really well. It's an understanding of uh, minimalizing um, 
all of the material goods that you need. So these guys go from closets full of clothes down to about five or six different uh, changes of clothes, um, uh, a toothbrush. Uh, basically, their entire world can fit into a briefcase. And so it's a, it's a good concept, especially when we live in a, a consumer-based society like we do here. But um, I was waiting for some propaganda, and I finally got it. So you ready? Lay it on me. There we go. We want to feel whole. We want to feel content. This mindless consumption, this same thing that's not making us happy is also causing the degradation of our habitat. We can afford to have 350 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We're closing in on 400 parts per million. It's caused by the burning of oil, of natural gas, of coal, of all the fuels that we use to power our consumer economy, to power... And, by the way, which plants use to um, create oxygen. But, yeah, screw that. Hold on. Not yeah, done yet. I was not waiting done. for the... Not done yet. You gotta wait. It gets even better. It's almost done. I'm finishing it. The making of crap that we don't need. This is real, and we really have to do something about it. We're not going to ever be able to achieve the environmental gains that we're seeking while still expecting our lives to be the same. We're going to have to give up a lot. Yeah. Everybody's going to have to be poor. Be poor, everyone. It's the way to work. So uh, I got a yep. couple more clips. Let me. Uh, what do you think? Well, I mean, as someone who's lived that lifestyle to a large extent, sold off a lot of my crap, um, built uh, you know a sustainable quote unquote home that's powered by solar and has a very small footprint uh, out in the wilds of northern Michigan. I mean, it is in a lot of ways it's a beautiful life, but at the same time, I mean, it makes it incredibly. And this is why I'm having to come to this kind of compromise internally and externally with what I'm doing with my life to, without trying to make this too personal. It's a it's very very difficult to make that lifestyle. It's 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 one thing to do it for a little while to go from town to town or even remain in one place doing odd jobs and you know trying to trying to keep up this image uh and this and this modality but you know I mean that all of the people that I've heard in the clips of these documentaries are you know younger people how how are you going to do this when you're 65? That's you a, know, a, I mean, and that that's a, that poses that really an interesting kind of the, question. The crux of the Agenda 21 future. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this society of society of have-nots who who reach old age with uh, <laughs> very little skills and and very little, um, not necessarily materialism, but material generational wealth. There you go. That's the term. Little yeah. generational wealth, which means uh, which means <clears> no power in this world. Which is interesting Not because power that's, over others, but power for yourself right. to, to but, do generative. Well, that's the other interesting thing about the Trump tax plan. That at least uh, some of the highlights that I've seen is he, he would get rid of the um, the inheritance tax. Which, once again, if you understand how taxes work, it's utterly ridiculous that you're getting taxed again after you die on money that you were already taxed on before. So. And I get, I get people say, you know, oh well, the the Gateses and the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds. Of they're the world they don't, but they don't pay taxes. Exactly. They just they, put they, them in tax free foundations. They, they know the loopholes. It only just screws yeah. with people like us that want to have a better exactly. life for their kids. So 
here yeah, we go, we're Josh. Do it anyways. So here's a, another piece of uh, propaganda. See if you can spot it. And here we go. We didn't really have a plan, which is pretty much our story. <laughs> <laughs> In 2010, when I was really digging into this decluttering and simplifying. I thought about the one place in my house that was the most cluttered, and that was my closet. And so I decided to create a minimalist fashion challenge to use less than what I had. So Project 333, the challenge for me was to wear 33 items for three months. And the 33 items included clothing, jewelry, accessories, and shoes. Oh, yes. So, Josh, would you care to enlighten people what the number 33 is used for in the intelligence community? Oh, well, I mean, I was thinking more masonry, but I mean, a lot Either of way. intelligence agents have been, you know, a lot of intelligence agencies are founded by masons. Yep. Well, I mean, technically, it's the number of mastery. Yep. It's the highest degree that you can achieve in Freemasonry, supposedly. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in some senses, it has some beautiful symbolism. But, I mean, it's also used uh, as a, at least some people view it as uh, being used as a form of um, not just uh, neurolinguistic programming and messaging but kind of like subtle nods to various agendas currently in progress yep so there so, you go so that was yeah when i when i heard project 33 and if she really cared if she really fucking cared about minimalism jewelry and accessories would probably not be on the list you know clothing and shoes baby you get two coins for that that was well done all right, so fuck um, her. Seriously, though, these these are these people are idiots. All right, so um, this is this is the last clip. Hypocrites, and, maybe not idiots, but yeah. hypocrites. All right, so here you go. Here's the here's the um, the last one. This is actually a good message, uh, tying back into um, giving giving the people that are having those emotional frustrations right now and the political spectrum, giving them some sense of hope. And this comes from a guy that was a former broadcaster who talked about how he invoked meditation. And he and somebody asked him, they said, well, well why do you meditate? And he said, um, I guess because it makes me about 10% happier. And people bought it. And so they left him alone and stopped asking him questions. So here it is. This is, a, this is his story. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever received in my entire life was from a meditation teacher named Joseph Goldstein. I was asking him about the utility of worry. In the specific context, I was talking about whether it makes sense to worry about missing a flight. And I was arguing to him that, look, you, you, you Buddhists are always talking about how thoughts are just thoughts. They don't necessarily have any connection to reality. But the fact is, if I miss my flight, I'm screwed. And he said, you're unquestionably correct. But there's a certain amount of worry that's, that makes sense and a certain amount of worry that doesn't. So on the 17th time that you're worrying about missing your flight and all of the horrible ramifications. Or that Donald Trump's Hitler. Maybe ask yourself a simple question. Is this useful? Boom. For a guy who'd spent his whole life worrying and thinking that my worrying was the edge I had over everybody else because I knew I was going to be more anxious uh, uh, and more compulsive than any of my competitors, I realized there was a certain amount of worrying that is is what I call constructive anguish. And then there's useless rumination that's just making you miserable. It's not like I'm 100% mindful all the time. 
you know, I still do an enormous amount of <laughs> stupid shit. And if my wife was here, she would give you the 90% still a moron spiel. Uh, there's just no question that I'm still an idiot in lots of ways. But I'm less of an idiot and less of a jerk and more thoughtful and more focused and calmer. So there you go. So there was some good messaging in it. Overall, would I recommend it? Absolutely. I think it gives you a, a different perspective of what you should be prioritizing in your life. Uh, it helped my wife and I uh, remove um, just today. We went to the uh, Goodwill and dropped off a, a bunch of old toys that my, my daughter doesn't use anymore. And um, it feels good to remove things from your life that um, I guess they use the old, um, the old Buddhist philosophy or I can't remember if it's Buddhist or Josh, you might be able to help me out. But um, you just take a, an item and look at it and ask, does this have value to me? And if the answer is it doesn't have a lot of value, then remove it from your life. And so I've taken that approach with some of the things that I've done in my life, and I've seen a, a great deal of success. And yes, I'm uh, maybe not 10% happier, but um, I'm a happy person in general. So, you know, maybe I'm 20% happier. Who knows? But what did you, what did you think, Josh? You, you going to check it out? You could give us your review on the next show if you want. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's come highly recommended from quite a few people now, including yourself. So, I mean, it's, I'm certainly going to give it a look-see, especially as something that you know, I'm, I continue to be interested in and have tried to apply those principles uh, in some ways maybe to an unhealthy extreme at times or an unrealistic extreme, and now I'm having to kind of <laughs> deal with that uh, to a large degree. But yeah, I'm, it's aside from the Agenda 21 messaging, which of course on a documentary about minimalism and downsizing and that kind of stuff, you, you, you almost kind of expect it mm-hmm. coming from our, our perspective. Mm-hmm. But, I was watching yeah, for it, and that's yeah, why I, mean, I grabbed so, the carbon tax stuff and, and grabbed the 33 um, stuff. So there are some things in there. Whether so, they did it well, intentionally or not, I don't know. Could I ask you, Jake? I mean, because a, a lot of the, I guess, aspects of this documentary that I've heard of, and again, you've seen it and I haven't, um, but people have said it some of the people in it kind of advocate a, like a permanent traveler style lifestyle mm-hmm. and then most of the people who are in it uh, that maybe one or two examples there were, were of people who you know had kept a career mm-hmm. and and downsized to an extreme mm-hmm. they're minimalized to extreme degrees mm-hmm. but most of them kind of extended that to the broader aspects well, of their life that's I mean, <clears throat> that's the way that they kind of pitch it is that the it gives you the freedom to do the to to be mobile to to travel if you want to travel you're not you're not uh, pigeonholed and and having to stay stationary because you have a mortgage and all this other stuff yes yeah, so there there is that aspect of it and it, it is geared towards um it is geared towards a younger demographic and and more likely um the people that would accept this demographic would be single because it would be an easier transformation for them than it would be for um let's say a husband a wife and a family that uh, the husband just comes in and starts you know throwing away stuff or taking everything to the goodwill uh, trust me if you take all your wife's shoes to the goodwill you might have some issues but um and that's not even if your if your wife's a, a you know a shoeaholic or anything. That's just you know it's kind of once again it's a property issue, but you know, even on the individual level. So yeah, I can see how it would be geared towards them. Yeah, I can see that. 
So for sure. I mean, because that cer- that certainly answers my next question, which would have been like, I guess, given that you are a mortgaged man and you do have a career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, how how would you find that coming into conflict with that kind of a lifestyle? Well, you, I mean, you, it's it's what you and it's what you and I have talked about, and I don't, you know, I guess we can kind of divulge this on air that Josh and I, Josh and I talk quite frequently, and even though we didn't run a show together, um, when Josh was working through some of his uh, challenges of of being. Um, you know, staying true to his roots and and what he believed that he could set an example to be, and I I still think you did a, a fantastic job of setting an example of of what somebody can do if they just set their mind to it and that they have the will to go out and try and attempt, and, and you were successful at it. It's just like you said, it, uh, maintaining the lifestyle. You came to an understanding that that this was something that you that you had to. Um, that you had to just pull back a second and say, is this really what I want for myself in this life or do I want other things? And if I want other things, then I have to make, I have to make some concessions on some of the values that I find, uh, maybe not steadfast, um, but some of the values that I see um, that would be a, a good, uh, something good to reflect in society. So it, it's, it's the same kind of process. You know, it's the, it's the understanding of do what you can, do what you feel comfortable with, and um, I'm always an advocate of pushing yourself. So if you feel comfortable yep. getting rid of four or five things, um, try getting rid of ten and, and just see if it's that much of a difference. And the majority of the time, because like, I use this in sales, I don't know if everybody knows this, but I'm, I'm a salesperson by, by trade. So what I used to do when I would go out and we would knock on doors – is that I would push myself, and at 5 o'clock, I would say, I'm going to hit seven more doors at 5 o'clock because the people that I'm working and competing against in business, at 5 o'clock, they're already probably home with their family. So I'm the only one out there doing this work, and so it's going to give me a competitive advantage, and I was highly successful, and I still am, just because I take that mentality with me wherever I go, and that's to push yourself, whether it's uh, reading, learning, um, more importantly, uh, questioning your own beliefs and, and, and understanding where, you, where you've developed these constructs from, and then and always trying to get better as you progress through this um, life or this simulation that we're going through. Y- you can always do better and always push yourself. So... Yeah, I do have. Um, I think, I think it's time, Josh. I think it's time to start it. Well, let's cue it up, baby. That's right, everybody. It is time for the Alex Jones NLP Game Show, starring Josh Wiley. Thank you so much for joining us, Josh. I think I just clipped right there, but that's okay. So, all right. Well, this will be a free election edition of the Alex Jones NLP Game Show. So, our clips today are, we have the capper, which we'll have to wait until the end. We have uh, dangerous, dangerous people. We have the devil, demon, or evil, which is um, your best chance to win an SDR. And what is our last clip? Our last clip is... What is Donald Trump in the eyes of Roger Stone? What is Donald Trump in the eyes of Roger Stone? We have dangerous and consequences, or we have the chance to win SCRs. Which would you like, Josh? 
I'm fucking that low hanging biblical fruit. It's gonna have to be devil, demon, or evil. Okay, so all right, so Josh, here is your question for the SDRs: What out of two shows of Alex Jones, which term did he use more? Was it devil, demon, or evil? I'm going to have to exclude evil. Okay. It's either devil or demon. Okay. He does like demon. You're going to go with demon? All right. We are going with demon, so... I'm I'm sticking with demon. All right. Sticking with demon. So here we go. Full compilation. Everybody got your pens and pencils ready. This is two shows of the Alex Jones Show pre-election. Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. Here we go. You know, it takes somebody really evil, even with our corrupt government and our whole life is like doing evil things when doing good would have been better for her. She's an adversary. What's the Bible called? The devil, the adversary. She is an ad. I don't know anyone with this, with this type of demonic energy. I mean, it's just it's crazy how evil the Democratic Party leadership is. These people are historically dangerous, historically evil. She's a devil, folks. That's what the devil wants. There you go. So, Josh, you got... Um... Nah, you didn't get it this time. I figured he'd play up the biblicism, given that that's what most of alt media was doing at the time. Yeah, well, he tr- and still continues to do. You have some fucking freaky people out there, you know, photoshopping images of Jesus Christ guiding the pen of Donald Trump's executive orders. I mean, these people are <laughs> just as delusional as the neoliberal counterparts. But hey, okay. that's just a personal opinion. All right, so back to it. Let's see here. So our other options are, um, what is Donald Trump? And that could be an SDR as well. What is Donald Trump in the eyes of Roger Stone? And we have the uh, dangerous clip. Which would you rather have? Go with the danger. You got to go with I'm danger? I'm it. Okay, here Living we go. Living on the edge. It's time for new leadership. It's time to lock their asses up. I want them to have jury trials. But we got to have espionage trials. At least, at least 10,000 need to be arrested and put in prison. I'm serious. I don't say that vindictively. These are dangerous people. They're seditious. They're enemies. We're going to go to break and come. By the way, Trump is planning to lock their asses up. This is going to be some dangerous fascism. They were pushing to shut our media down and arrest us for our free speech. Now we're going to arrest you for espionage. All right. So, Josh, good job. That was. Uh... Mr. Donald Trump himself um, going to arrest everybody, evidently, according to Alex Jones. So we have we have two clips left. We have the capper. So now I'm going to go to the Roger Stone clip. Uh, and I have to ask you, Josh, what um, Roger Stone characterizes Donald Trump as what? George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Jesus Christ, or the devil? Certainly not the devil. Okay, that was. I don't a... know if he. I don't know if he. Jefferson was too principled, so I, I gotta say Washington. You're gonna go Washington? Okay, final answer is Washington. Here we go. What is Donald Trump? A, uh, a, a savior, a, a champion has arisen. Oh, he has arisen. He has risen from the ashes. But I guess if it were if it were allude that was a trick question in a sense. If it were alluding to the Christ stuff, I would have gone for that whole uh, ad hoc. But I mean, I did. I didn't. Would you like to hear the clip again? Come out and say he's literally Donald Trump. Or Donald Trump's the savior. You're Jesus Christ. 
Yes, please. All right. The the key word here, ladies and gentlemen, what we are searching for is arisen. Like he has died and he is coming back from the dead. A, uh, a, a savior, a, a champion has arisen. He even said a savior. He even said a yes. savior. That is absolutely Not- incredible. Thank you so much. Okay, so I'm I'm glad that we've got one savior. All right, so here's the capper, everybody. Children and soften our hearts towards the ignorant that don't understand what's happening and forgive them. But we have to, at the same time, quite frankly, harden our hearts against evil and be steadfast and realize that we're going to run them over and that it's our destiny to defeat them. But we have to take that destiny and we have to take the adversity that comes with it in our hands. But through the process, we will be made whole and strong on the other side and be much greater than we ever were before. It is the animating contest, the challenge of good versus evil. And you, who are fighting the globalists, have chosen the right side of history. And no matter what color you are or where you come from or what your gender is, that makes us brothers and sisters together in eternity because we chose the right side of history. Oh, there we go. Well, I'm glad that we are on the right side of history. So That is like some over-the-top Christian programming right there. You think? What do you think? Holy Was that a good crap. capper? I mean, I... I expect it from the nutters like Rick Wiles at True News and some of these cats, but I guess, you know, there are only so many degrees of separation. All right. Oh, but, well, uh, let's close. Hold on. We got to close out. We got to close out the segment. Got to close it out. So, uh, unfortunately, no SDRs for Josh this time, but um, Josh still does have two and a half SDRs. They are redeemable only in China right now. And that's uh, still while the getting's good, unless they shut off the Bitcoin exchange again. Or they do margin trading, as Josh will probably talk about on the next show, which gave Bitcoin a kind of a little bit of a bump. So thank you so much, Josh, for the Alex Jones NLP Game Show. And we will see you guys next time right here. All right. So the Alex Jones NLP Game Show is done. Josh, what what were you going to say before? Although, I must say that... I could be wrong, and our our our, our more biblically minded <clears throat> listeners will, if we have any left at this point, will no, probably, probably not. Um, will probably correct me through your email. Um, was uh, the only time that I can remember the the phrase "harden your heart" being used in the Bible was when Yahweh pardon pharaoh's heart against the release of the the supposed release of the israelites and then tried to murder them all oh yeah maybe maybe brandon smith is right and they are just trying to foment this class of civilizations and all these little subtle nods towards you know uh biblical end times are uh are just that. <laughs> well, it, it is very interesting to say the least. So, uh, wrapping up the show here, Josh. Uh, anything, uh, anything else for for the audience before we get out of here? Oh, not really, man. It's just uh, it's it's getting even for people like us who follow this stuff on a regular basis. Although neither of us really have been as much as we used to. Uh, it's it's getting very hard to keep up, and. Uh, Things are getting weird, and it's almost um, it's almost difficult not to care because I still care. Mm-hmm. But uh, true, I think Truthstream Media did it best, said it best. Um, M- Melissa Dykes, and I'm paraphrasing here, but she 
essentially, in a very heartfelt video, said, you know, uh, this election cycle has, if it's taught me one thing, it's taught me that a, a lot of the people that I believe to be principled are not at all. No, that's and a very lot true. Of the people that, a lot of the people that I thought were, you know, competent forensic historical researchers are willing to bend the historical narrative to to fit i guess the the resurgence of the nation state as we're currently seeing it mm-hmm. well, and that's uh it makes it makes it very difficult to to stay motivated in media production if i'm being completely honest well that's why we haven't done a show in <clears throat> that's why we haven't done a show in 6 months because it was it was really weird that i couldn't it's not that I couldn't get motivated because <clears throat> I love I love doing this. I love um, sharing my point of view with with the audience. I love the feedback that the audience gives me. Uh, once again, uh, follow me on Twitter. We are not cattle. The number one. You can uh, correspond with me that way, or you can email me at we are not cattle at gmail dot com. But it, it's it became very like you said. It was it was like almost too much. That I had to wait for all of this stuff to settle down, and now that it has settled, it seems like that you can you can almost see the divide in the country. And to me, that's it's really sad because what this country was founded on, I think that every most people would at their core would agree with. But then we we have the the rhetoric of the media, and we have the people that are searching. And it's literally like they're getting a magnifying glass out and searching for confirmation biases everywhere so that they can hold it up, hold up their confirmation bias and go, look, look what I found. He's a fascist. He's it just needs to stop. We need to have a rational dialogue about the the direction of the country, because Josh and I will be the first ones to tell you the stock market's inflated. That's not an accurate representation of the economy. None of this stuff is real. What we're experiencing is 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 fake. It's it's like when Rome started started you know um, what did the, what were they doing? They were um, uh, they were slowly cutting off the edges of their coins in order to make more coins. But basically, well, they, yeah, they they debased the denarius by cutting it primarily with copper. To yeah. the point where at the end of circulation, it was only. I mean, and this was a process that took hundreds of years. Uh, <clears throat> Obviously, we've accelerated that timetable quite a bit, but by the end, these things were what ten percent silver, right? And but that's that's the whole point is that we're in a we don't even have to physically do it. They don't even have to physically do it anymore. This is all digital stuff now, so they can debase the currency all day long, and so it's just it's getting to the point where we have to come together as a society. And like Joe Rogan said, and I'm gonna I'm gonna end my little segment with this. Josh, if you got any parting words, give me a thumbs up, thumbs down, doesn't matter. Uh, as we have um, disk space remaining six 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 hours, that's pretty funny. Um, but as Joe Rogan said, we have to come together and and develop a dialogue between the two sides that are so far apart right now, and and, and come together on just some simple stuff. That we can move forward with on and build and, and then start building the society from things that everybody can agree with and, and, and not free goodies. That it, No, not from free goodies. Start from the individual. See where we can build from there. And let's try to, 
let's try to reinstitute some of the things that made this country great. And it's been a long time since uh, America has been great. And I don't mean to sound like a, a Trumpian and saying make America great again because it's not what it is. It's it's being reasonable and being honest with yourself about what you want from your life, from society, what you want for your children. I mean, I'm the one that lives this every day. I know what I want for my children, and I right now I'm seeing that it's becoming further and further. Uh, it's like slipping out of my grasp, but I don't think it's out of control. I think that we need to pull back from the emotion, and I think we'll be able to to come to some sense of you know, agreement on how we can how we can move forward as a society. Josh, you got anything? Or is it? I mean, I. I, I concur entirely with your sentiment, Jake. I just uh, maybe it's just the the pessimist in me, but I just I think it's too late for any of that kind of dialogue, especially as I being from the millennial generation and looking around at not necessarily my peers, but simply the landscape mm-hmm. of the generation as a whole. These kids are so they're so lost. Yeah, and that's not only true. are they lost, they have they have no marketable skills whatsoever. Uh, nor do they desire any, really. It's this constant stimulus-response culture um, that's imbued with um, with material pursuits. Yeah, and I don't I don't see how you how you rectify that in even even the time frame of a decade. I mean, perhaps life will smack these people across the face mm-hmm. one day when mommy and daddy run out of money <laughs> but i mean barring that kind of a situation i don't i don't i don't see how you again how how that how this situation comes to comes to any kind of there how the how a consensus is developed in that regard all right, well, that's it for the show, everyone. Be sure to share the podcast with people you know, people you love, people you like. We'll be back sometime soon. It's definitely not going to be six months next time. It'll probably be um, within a couple of weeks. So uh, remember, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And, um, you know, peace, love, and liberty. And let's try to come together and, once again, just simple, fundamental things and build society from there. And stop... Um, picking sides and and yelling at the other one and saying that they're fascist. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) 